talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome back to another fun and exciting episode of More Like the Worst Wing, uh, the podcast where we take a look back at Aaron Sorkin's seminal work, The West Wing, from a modern-day C-SPAM perspective. Uh, I am Dave. And I'm Stu. And we're here with episode... what number? It's the seventh one of the second season of the second season entitled The Portland Trip. Uh, the president is going to Portland for a education speech, I believe, is the, is the whole reason for the trip. Um, and we start off right away with getting to Air Force One. Um, so this is one of these episodes that takes place mostly on Air Force, or about 50-50 on Air Force One and then the other 50% in the White House. Uh, but we start off here with... Um, CJ laying out the itinerary for the press uh, pool in, while they're in their press bus, uh, and she mentions that she is a late addition to the trip uh, as well, and Danny asks, why? Are you being punished? And, <laughs> and she's like, I'm not telling you that. He goes, what if, well, what if the whole bus agrees to go off the record? And she says, uh, yeah, well, I made fun of Notre Dame. <laughs> and they all go, Ah! That's and pretty funny. We are we are we we take this as an indication that the president's fandom of Notre Dame is going to be yeah. central to the comic relief for this ep- episode, and in fact, it is. They reference it consistently and thoroughly throughout the yes, episode. It, it's quite the recurring little gag. <laughs> uh, he, he, uh, as Danny says, you can't bring that stuff when they're playing Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> and frankly, and as, and then CJ goes, "Well, I know that now." Yeah. As as someone who grew up in Michigan, um, fuck Michigan and Notre Dame. Go Michigan State. <laughs> go Spartans. Um, I know it's not really the biggest football deal between the two of them, but I'm a basketball fan, so fuck you and fuck both of those schools. What? What were they referencing? Football or basketball? They're referencing football. Oh, okay. The big, the big rivalry. The, the, the Notre Dame Michigan rivalry is football. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't follow college sports at all, so yep. none of this uh, scans with me other than the inherent silliness of taking sports, sports rivalry yeah. <laughs> super seriously, which I can I can get behind. Yep. Um, so then, okay, we get our first main sort of an extremely minor subplot here where they mention that they found a uh, oil tanker, an Iraqi oil tanker that has been violating UN sanctions uh, and the, what, the Navy, I assume, uh, picked it up uh, and is doing an inspection. Um, and if they find any oil, they're going to have to deal deal with it somehow. Yeah, it's like... Uh, that's all we know for now. <laughs> they mentioned it's like, oh, and, and this is the start of sort of, there's a lot of, I, when I was making my notes for this episode, there's a lot of um, subtext in this episode where it's like, they mentioned that they stopped a tanker in the Gulf and like there are sanctions and it's left up to the viewer to be like uh, cool what's yeah. that mean sanctions good sanctions bad <laughs> like why are we nothing... boarding a foreign flagged ship like that that is just doing trade yeah <laughs> but maybe illegal trade i don't know uh neither does the show really uh and we'll get a weird and very unsatisfying uh resolution to it at the end of the episode but then so then our other second subplot, on the plane at least, is that Sam is having difficulty with 
preparing this education speech that the president is going to Portland to deliver. He's he's sort of off his game. He's got writer's block, you know, or not writer's block necessarily because he managed to write something, but he's not happy with it. Yeah, and it's down to the wire, and he's feeling, you know, pressure, and yes, and, and they they have the typical sort of like there's a Sam and Toby back and forth throughout the entire episode where it's just like, oh, I'm off my game, you know, why don't we have bigger ideas? And but it's like if we can't have ideas if we don't have a policy behind them, and yeah, and. I want to dig into that a bit when he talks about political revolution, uh, but we'll do that in a later segment, I think. Um, so then, in the white, meanwhile, in the White House, we've got a couple of things going on here. Our, our main plot, definitely, what I would consider the main plot for yeah. the episode, is Josh and uh, a gay Republican uh, congressman. Yep, I believe uh, he's like a House of Representative. Yeah, yeah okay, uh, congressman. Um, debating about the uh this bill that will officially ban gay marriage like like put it on the books that that it's banned as opposed to just sort of the de facto ban that is in the you know 2000 era of when this was filmed ha- was currently in effect yeah so and the guy comes to visit it's also in context of like donna is there and we all sort of. see out the out the gate that josh I mean, Donna's going out on a date, a fancy date, and is wearing a yeah. slinky red dress, and Josh is like... This is unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and also, like, <laughs> I'm going to take this opportunity to be a real creep here. Right. <laughs> just some more of you, you wrote sorkinsexism.text, yeah, s- you know? S- fucking A. Like, <laughs> just, you know, it's all like, he just does a ton of inappropriate workplace behavior, and also just kind of acts like a real fucking dick on top of that. Yeah, but it's all okay because you can tell that he likes her. Yes, like, <laughs> it's meant to it's meant to uh, to make more explicit the sexual tension between the two right. characters. This is definitely a ramping up of that that we you know they have played on it more before, but this is it becoming a lot more explicit. Uh, I would say than than previously, where it's just like oh yeah, Josh is clearly into her yeah. uh, and is like getting very defensive that she is dating other men <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that you know and he's, he's clearly and saying feeling... that oh it's not it's not gonna work out with this who's he todd <laughs> yeah oh uh, you met him at a party once yeah that's that's gonna work yeah, out you're clearly feeling very inadequate here because mm-hmm. donna's dressing up for this guy and not for josh oh. absolutely yeah it's super projectiony <laughs> like just so this kind very of fragile masculine yeah well, and it's, it's actually kind of like the, the juxtaposition of it is actually really funny because then the, the Josh segment of the story pivots to a thing about gay marriage and, and homosexual right. relationship that sort of it's the, the tension between what's meant to be understood and not discussed in the show. The hetero relationship between Josh and Donna is kind mm-hmm. of is set up against this very politicized very serious business like, an abstracted exactly. idea of like gay marriage in the abstract and not like let's bring in a gay couple to have as like uh you know as a counter example yes i get what you're yeah, saying and so like the the weighting of it is very different across mm-hmm. the divide between homo and heterosexual uh, right. relationships there so that's kind of like so, the the longer running theme in yeah the well we'll dig into that uh, more heavily mm-hmm. uh, in its own segment because that is definitely, like I said, the main plot for this episode. It's where we spend the vast majority of the episode's time, I would say. 
uh, is just on this. Um, the, the sort of debate they have back and forth, and then the resolution thereof, and the actual, uh, uh, spoiler alert, passing of the Gay Marriage Act. Yeah. Uh, or the ban, ban ban on Gay Marriage Act, I should say. It's, you know, it's anti-gay marriage. Yeah. So there's a couple other things that happen just sort of incidentally to the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, when Donna comes back from fail date or whatever, um, mm-hmm. she ends up talking with Ainsley Hayes for a while. That is oh, just, yeah. it's just out of nowhere. Um, so weird. I, yeah. And I, um, <laughs> it's like, it, it just feels like the writers were like, Hey, have Ainsley and Donna met yet? Yeah. And someone said, no. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, we should write a scene where they meet. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's it's just it's they weird. Don't, they like don't it really... should have been done on the on the Ainsley first day episode. Yeah, because you know? they, they like, bring back the the issue that she's working in a steam trunk. Well, right. Yeah. And she's like, oh, ha, yeah. ha, I remember that from the episode but, prior. Yeah, um, it just feels like they forgot to write this moment <laughs> in that episode and are now kind of like making up for lost time or something. And the other the other sort of it's just weird. <laughs> Like the other sort of big interpersonal thing that's happening is apparently everybody at the White House is nervous because we kind of indirectly approach the fact that Leo was served with his divorce papers today. Right. And we are going yes. to, you know, the, the people who care for him and work with him and have professional relations with him are somehow universally concerned about the fact that receiving your official divorce papers as a 65 or whatever year old alcoholic <laughs> is what's going to trigger you to go back to drink. And I think go off the wagon. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to fall off the wagon. Cause like the formality, yeah, like the divorce had already yeah. happened. This is just like, surely it would have been the night where he had the actual argument with his wife, where, where they decided this wasn't working anymore. Like that would be the night he goes out to a bar and like drowns his sorrows. Well, why is the papers, going to be the triggering moment for him yeah and so i really like i mean we can actually just do yeah, a yeah. brief Let's, thing on yeah, this like ahead. i really like that they they frame this is one of the few things in this episode that i actually really enjoyed was that yes leo like as the sort of as the established sort of cantankerous but proper and old school type of guy building it out sort of that personality trait of his as a stoic in the framing of his alcoholism john mm-hmm. spencer does an extremely good job of yes. kind of deflecting these concerns from other characters because he's he basically just nicely lets down these people and thereby the audience who is um, presumed to have a emotional connection to him and to have identified with him based on his struggles with alcoholism because he's basically just saying that God God damn it you guys alcoholics don't have triggers. They're just right. Well, and and to be fair, like there's there's gradations, whatever. However, you want to deal with sure, the sure. But he's, not all not all alcoholics. Is it, but hashtag it, hashtag not all alcoholics. But, but it's also like it it's a disease. It is something that is always right. with me. It is literally yeah. always there. Right. So you know, it, it could just be like a bad day makes him drink yeah. or something. Like it doesn't have to be a trigger. It's just like you know, his willpower, you know, doesn't keep up for one day, and he goes out and buys some booze. Yeah. You know, it, and it's 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 sort of a really interesting take on the um, the traditional. Uh, what do I, I don't want to say manipulation of? It's like the utilization of the character trait of being an alcoholic is like, oh, you're prone to have a have a. Um, uh, God, what the what's the word like? Like a single moment, there's a big 
blow up right. that oh slam now i'm off the wagon and we're gonna right, have a breaking this. point yes, or something, exactly yeah. like there's a tipping point that's what i was going mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. where it's like honestly no it is a it is a daily mundane normative struggle that is yeah, just like any addiction. just like any yes. addiction and frankly me sitting here with a beer in my hand i don't need a good reason to drink either any reason's right. good <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah. It's just that pe- people who aren't alcoholics can just stop whenever they want, and people who are alcoholics cannot. Yes, exactly. You know, that's the only difference. And so that was that was the the little sort of subtle thing that I really appreciated in this episode. But let's um, we can take a break here and talk about sure. some of the more political stuff that is really not treated very well this time around. <laughs> Okay, so let's dive into the main plot uh, of this episode, which is this debate, essentially, uh, or argument, or whatever you want to call it, between Josh and uh, the gay Republican congressman who's named Matt... uh, I don't think he has a last name. Simmons? No, no, it it was funny, because when I first heard it, it sounded like Matt Santos, who is uh, Jimmy Smith's character (laughs) from season six and seven, and I was like, what? They introduced him this early? And I'm like, no, no, it's uh, it's Matt Simmons. Yeah, Yeah, and gay? (laughs) (laughs) And a Republican. Yeah, what the hell's going on? (laughs) Um, So Matt, we'll we'll call him Matt, instead of the gay Republican congressman. Uh, Matt... Matt and Josh have a extended discussion that starts in Josh's office, ends up migrating to the mess hall, uh, and and finally ends in like some hallway out near the entrance. Over the whole course of the episode, you know, it's implied that they've been at it for hours, and it's basically saying, you know, it's basically Josh being like, uh, uh, Matt being like, hey, I I support this bill because my party supports this bill, and Josh going like, but you're gay what the fuck <laughs> yeah and there's a lot of uh so and i i i had i texted you earlier being like this is a very very um strangely framed set of interactions we are we're yes. led to understand that josh and matt are are friends like they have a yes. personal relationship with each other yeah absolutely and so they can they can meet, have a meeting of minds on this topic without being explicitly job oriented or politics oriented right it feels a lot more personal yeah um it's not it's not just political it's ve- it gets very personal uh with at one point jo- josh just going like well why the fuck are you a republican uh and and matt being like boy you had that question on your chest the whole time didn't <laughs> yeah. you yeah you- and it's like well yeah no shit i did <laughs> yeah you teed that one up for me my man like so yeah. and and so they 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 have this discussion. They 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 talk and talk, and all the old canards get brought up. Right, like everything. Yeah, every you know discussion about the meta discussion of gay marriage that happened back in the aughts and and teens and whatever. You know, every canard from that, like you said, gets brought out of you know. Oh, I'm in favor of individual rights, not group rights. You know, marriage is man and a woman blah 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 all that bs and and the guy so i mean the he, people aren't ready for it <laughs> you know well and he trots out trots out the judeo-christian morality right bullshit. and and polling yeah. you know the, the show's favorite tool yeah. citing a poll <laughs> you know uh saying that you know x percent of people do not support gay marriage like that fucking matters at all yeah and uh, <laughs> because rights framing rights as a matter of popularity is just 
like a non-starter from the get-go. You know, like how how popular was the idea of freeing the slaves in the South? Not very popular. <laughs> you know, how popular was the Civil Rights Act among white people? Not really popular. But you know what? We kind of had to do them anyway. <laughs> So the, it's just a very disingenuous framing to say, like, well, 60% of America is not in favor of gay marriage right now, so um, sorry, gay people. And you you linked the, the Boers comic of, like, where the, the polls of approval for gay marriage with Congress watching the line and being like, it ticks right. to 57%. And all of a sudden they're, like, trampling each other to go plant a <laughs> rainbow flag next to a microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that this is the really interesting bit so since this is such a time capsule thing and now we know the way gay marriage ended up going was we didn't do it with a bill or we didn't do it with you know popular approval hitting a certain point the fucking there was a supreme court decision and the court just said well this is illegal as fuck of course gay people (laughs) have the right to get married and we just decided that was that and it worked out fine for the most part you know like the society didn't burn down there wasn't a second civil war you know and so knowing now from our perspective in 2019 of of how this all actually shaked out it just makes all of matt's arguments even stupider yeah and it's very i mean it's very um it betrays its its time this is one thing that has not aged well uh, no, not at all. You know. I mean, uh, I would argue that, you know, he is a Republican, so his views are are a perfect encapsulation of what even the modern Republican thinks about gay marriage. And, and Josh is very progressive for his time of being very pro-gay marriage. But, you know, so uh, it, I wouldn't say that it hasn't aged well in the sense of, like, either of them have bad takes but you're right in the sense that it hasn't aged well in now that we know the reality of what really happened. None of this arguing makes any fucking sense at all. <laughs> yeah, and actually, like, before we started recording, I, I was wondering out loud if it was something that today, because I came into political awareness, I you know, I was probably 18, 19 years old, whatever, when I started sure. to really care about this stuff. And this was recorded in a time in my life where... I I have no perspective and it's it's almost Same. like yeah. it it's like I was 14 15 when this episode came out you know I didn't know about what the gay marriage debate was at the moment and and it's it's like it's sort of it's not that I am I have uh there's there's no direction to my perspective it is literally just a right. big gray space where it's right. like oh okay I do not recall what this how this played out in real time I, I mean, I seem, I definitely, personally, I recall, you know, just a lot of fear-mongering from the right, obviously, you know, which they do about everything, of course, but, um, you know, just a lot, just a lot and a lot, a lot of insistence of marriage is one man and one woman, and, and that definition may never be changed, because <laughs> that's how definitions work. Words never change their meanings, ever. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I, I had... Back then, I had I knew gay people in high school. I think I got in a fight with a girlfriend once about it because I was raised very, very Catholic, and there are certain mm-hmm. things that are you know generally sacrosanct, and you know right. that that was sort of one thing. So I think that is my only perspective on it was just like this was forced on me as someone who had no option in their upbringing. 
Sure. And then that's literally the only thing I recall about the debate at the time. So like with a 20 year hindsight benefit of it, it was like, yeah, none of this shit makes any fucking sense. At all. Right. But, <laughs> but I'm willing, I'm willing to give the writers a bit of a pass here in the sense of like, this was probably, if not accurate rhetoric for the time, at least a close enough approximation of the accurate rhetoric for the time. What I'm not willing to give the writers a pass on is how, like, ideologically stupid Matt's arguments are. Yes. Uh, so so coming back to the big point where Josh screams at him, like, why the hell are you even a Republican? And so Matt's argument is, well, you guys don't, for example, you, you Democrats, you don't like the NRA that much. So the NRA has two million members. Why don't you bring three million Democrats to the next NRA meeting, call a vote, and say, we're banning all guns. Holy shit. Bing, bang, boom. Fucking problem solved. <laughs> like, yeah, you binged that bong real good, motherfucker. That's just, <laughs> that's super easy. All you gotta do is just change the system, man. From within. <laughs> and, like, he's talking about, he brings up shit about, like, free markets, like, defining his beliefs and his life more than yeah. his sexual orientation. Get the fuck out of here, man. Like, yeah, yeah. He, he does the whole, like, oh, but, you know, I agree with the Republicans about 95% of the things. It's just that the 5% we don't agree about <laughs> is they don't think I'm a real person. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, like five... uh, oh, yeah, you know, one, you just get over that little bit, and, you know, we're basically all good. <laughs> it's like, oh, the, that last 5% wants to eliminate me and everyone like me from existence. <laughs> Ah, uh, well, you know, I yeah. just gotta go no, with... Po-buddy's po, po nerfed! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it just, so it also, um, the, and again, this about, there is a lot of subtext flying around in these mm -hmm. two characters' interactions here, which I was, I was very confused about because theoretically, as a political show, the writers are putting that stuff in because... They understand that the people watching are scrutinizing this and absorbing mm -hmm. this content on a on a deeper level than what is explicit. They're, they're engaging with it much more than like a Big Bang Theory watcher and, is. Yeah, yeah, and there was all just this this huge, almost like cross purpose mixed messaging in how the scenes played out, and then even like some of the dialogue that happens, particularly at the very end when they wrap up this meeting and. Yeah. Matt and his Congress buddies leave with being like fellow Republicans. Yeah, his fellow Republicans. Yeah. They leave the White House being like, "Well, gosh, it'll work out. Like they'll they'll sign." Yeah, because the bill the bill's getting passed yes. essentially. They they know, and so they're like, "Hey, good job!" And one goes to clap Matt on the back, and Matt goes, "Don't don't touch me! Like get your hand off me!" As because like. Josh's discussion has, I guess, illuminated him to the idea that his fellow Republicans actually do hate him uh, for being gay. Yeah, and so... As if, like, he didn't put two and two together on that before this moment. Yeah, exactly. And so we've just spent all this time, frank frankly, I would hope, given that they've framed this relationship as personal, in good faith... Yes. Like, debating and, and sort of digging in deeply on these issues... Right. And so during, sorry, no, not no, to no, interrupt, no, you go but ahead. To, to, yeah, during the whole argument, and this goes back to your subtext thing, you get the impression that this guy does understand the rest of the party does hate him. But then there's this moment at the end where it feels like he's just realizing it for the very first time. 
and it it does it sort of colors the whole previous discussion of like, well, how smart were you, buddy? <laughs> like, and the only other way to read it is to be all right. You literally devoted a line of dialogue to making that explicit. So the writers have either like spent all this time in dialogue with Matt and Josh putting out these cues and subtext and taking the audience as, you know, it, uh, smart. Know, as, yeah. as smart and engaged with the content, or we need to make this as explicit as possible because our audience is a bunch of fucking idiots. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a thing that the show goes to a lot where I feel, they, they want to seem smart, but then also they still, it's still network television. So they still kind of have to pander to the lowest common denominator, essentially. So it's this weird mixing act of like, oh, we'll throw in big words, but we'll make shit super obvious yeah. <laughs> so that no one is lost. <laughs> yeah. And for for this particular topic, I mean, it's it's gay marriage. It is what what drives me nuts about the gay marriage debate is that, frankly, and honestly, this the, the show sort of starts to go there is a little bit is that. The concept of gay marriage, specifically the ability for two people of one expressed gender identity to marry each other, has had every single other LGBTQ issue rolled under it and subsumed yes. into it to be like, yes. if we get this, we've won. What's next? Like we. Oh, 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 no, oh, I think no, it. But... I think it's literally that it has become the sort of the avatar of the movement, and there was a yes. lot of a lot lot of struggle after Obergefell um yes one of my one of my friends is a regional director at HRC and he was literally like the with with this down the organization has no direction because it has right. been so much time spent sort of just everything being subsumed into the idea of yeah, marriage yeah they, they didn't have another they didn't yeah they didn't have a next thing to ready to go to of like okay all right so if we get gay marriage what's next on the agenda yeah absolutely you know i, f I feel like, like it was almost like gay adoption or gay you know full full gay rights you know <laughs> yeah. no no, no discrimination, discrimination of of work uh, workplace discrimination yeah stuff like that like it, there should have been an agenda but i yeah i get it and uh you know th this has always kind of been a thing i've noticed where you know uh, the whole LGBT movement really tends to focus on like the rich and white L's and G's and not so much yeah. the B's and the T's, <laughs> you know? Um, and uh, gay marriage was never a threat to capitalism in a way. In fact, if anything, it was a giant boon for the wedding industry of, Oh, a whole new market just opened up to us. Um, so it's just, you know, focusing on this one big victory and above all else and sort of defining it as the entire movement definitely did harm to other other lgbtq issues yeah and it, you know? it, it it sort of very succinctly illustrates the challenges to a sort of an overarching cultural movement wrapping mm -hmm. up too much of its identity in one specific representative issue because right. not now that we've got Obergefell, and frankly, Obergefell's pretty shaky because it's a court decision. It's nothing that's been right. enshrined in law. 
it could absolutely be overturned by the Supreme Court at any moment. Yeah. 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 So now it's the, the, the challenge is just how do we move like forward? Like we, we should have an amendment or something, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that's, that's how we actually enshrine this shit, you know, the civil, you know, fucking the, you know, the 14th amendment or, you know, shit like that or the, yeah. what's the women's one, 19th, 17th. I'm always bad at this, you know, but women's right to vote, you know, enshrine that shit in the fucking constitution you know, get it on record. And it's, and then it's frustrating because now you look at things like the trans right movement, uh, which is obviously the, the next big thing after, you know, not that we're done with the gay rights movement, but sort of the trans rights movement is now taken over that conversation essentially. And it's basically like we're going through the same cycle again. And it's just, it's frustrating it feels like we're not, you know, we did civil rights and now then we did gay marriage and now like like it feels like it's accelerating each time which is good I guess but it feels why can't we just be like hey everyone has the same rights as everyone ta da well, and to 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 walk it back from sort of the it it's basically like my, my the the overarching concern is that the fundamental underpinnings of an unequal society continue to exist Yes. There is there ha- there is yeah. no there has been no sweeping. I mean, even going back to 1964. No. Yeah. The the the. Yeah, and sorry, I didn't mean to imply yeah, that like absolutely. the Civil Rights Act fixed everything about race relations in this country. Obviously. But that's the, but <laughs> but that's that's all, and that's almost like a that's the that's the um the avatar of the problem is that everybody mm-hmm. says. Hey guys, look, we gave women the right to vote. Hey guys, right. look, we passed the Civil Rights Act. Check, check, check yes, that box. Yes, exactly. That's yeah. literally all you're doing. And for most of these, as you said, wealthy white organizations that really um, sort of take up the mantle of fighting for these things, to them, that's what they consider a victory rather than building mm-hmm. the power out in the community of the United States, let's call it at right. large. Right, and actually, yeah, and, and raising, you know, making a uh, a, a popular movement of of you know in, in getting people engaged <laughs> in the issue, and not just making it a legal battle. That's you know that's one court case. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's my theory of permanent change. Um, we've gotten way <laughs> far afield on this, so let's no. Take it was a, brief a good break. discussion yeah. though. Let's uh, take a brief break yeah, and get into uh, some of the other political stuff in the episode. Yeah. So let's then. Let's get into the other couple subplots here that I want to dig into a little bit. Um, during the whole Sam can't write good and needs to learn to do other stuff good too uh, subplot, uh, he he's um, they're trying to kind of spitball ideas for for creating a better speech and and Sam quotes uh, Mao Zedong uh, and and says we need a permanent revolution. Uh, and Toby goes like, uh-oh, you really want to fucking quote Mao Zedong here? Uh, you know he was a communist, right, Sam? Uh, and it's like, Toby, aren't you the lefty guy here who's, like, really into big sweeping rhetoric? And we've had this subplot multiple times of of you want to use a big sweeping rhetorative declaration about something and other people push back and now all of a sudden you're the one pushing back yeah and it's just inconsistent characterization in, in in context of the last episode where he's like we're we need to go into west virginia 
and drag every single one of these neo-Nazis screaming from their homes. Right! Like, yeah. Seems like, and put them in a gulag. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. It seems to me that would not only, you know, be an example of sweeping rhetoric here, but also cost a shitload of money, motherfucker. Oh, God. So, yeah. So, okay. So, the actual idea that they kick around for the speech later, and Charlie is the one who comes up with it, and he does the whole, like, humble thing of, like, oh, no, no, no one should listen to my idea. I'm just and the a simple like, country lawyer. <laughs> yeah. And the president's like, no, 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 I'm a good father, and I listen to my ideas from all my children. That's right. Uh, so get out with it. Out with it. And he's like, why don't we pay teachers to go to college? And we can, and if they teach for three years in an inner city school, we'll, we'll forgive their college educa- education costs, which is basically a modified version of what the Teach for America program. It's fucking Teach for America. <laughs> yeah, it's basically the, the exact premise of Teach for America. Um, and the fucking first thing Toby says is, but how will we pay for it? <laughs> And it's like, holy just, shit. Just, oh, these tuition incentives. And, oh, uh, my God. It's just the most... The most neoliberal shit I've ever fucking heard of. Like, even the president hits him back with, like, who cares? That comes later. You know? Let's focus on the fucking idea first. And meanwhile, Toby's like, how will we pay for it? How will we pay for it? Where do you get the money? Like, I don't know, Toby. Fucking print it. Who cares? And, and like, Sam's here. There's a line where the president says, like, maybe we should be poets. And it's like, well, oh, yeah. oh my God. And they're, they're objecting fucking to the jerk idea off of motion. <laughs> talking about a radical idea but not actually having one to propose. Who the fuck do you <laughs> think you are? You're probably, like, the fourth most powerful person in the country, Toby. Like, yeah. if anybody is going to have an idea that they describe... Right. Why not you, my dude? Right, and so here's the thing. Like, two episodes ago or whatever where Ainsley did the summary for Sam and it ends up becoming, like, fucking law, like, 20 minutes later because he ends up pitching it to the president or whatever, and she's like, wait, just because I, <laughs> I made a suggestion, it, like, that affected the whole country? And Sam's like, yeah, we play with live ammo around here, and it's a cool <laughs> yeah. fucking moment. And it's like, where'd all that fucking live ammo go, huh? <laughs> yeah, guys, now you're now you're sitting at your desk being all, like, nebbish about including words like permanent and using, like, a revolutionary approach. Just right. in, in a rhetorical, not even just something that he's going to say out loud. Right, and and Toby's thing is like, well, if we say a permanent revolution, won't people want a permanent revolution? Like, I should fucking hope so, Toby. Yes. Like, yes, that's the point. It's amazing that you articulate that idea. Now maybe you, again, as the wielder of this, like, the <laughs> massive, amount, massive of amount of power, perhaps. Where you literally influence the president's communication yes, perhaps with the whole country. you could create that reality you know we're yeah, we're gonna like, frank luntz this shit it's going to be you know what we we our rhetoric well, we'll, defines our reality here we are yeah, creating like, new and he's, he's just like it for again a very inconsistent con- characterization for toby who is supposed to be the ostensible one that usually pulls them all left Yeah. to suddenly have these fucking <laughs> how-will-we-pay-for-it concerns before. Like, they're just spitballing the idea, and he's already concern-trolling about yeah. it. Like, it's just, <laughs> it, it's weird. I, it's and uh, very annoying. I, I do like how you characterized um, fighting Virginia white pride as defense spending. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, when he had the fucking goal of, like, rounding up every KKK member, he wasn't asking about where will we get the money for that, and you know why? Because that's defense that's right. spending. That's, that's, this is pre-9-11, but that would be Department of Homeland Security shit right there. And that's so. something both parties can align behind. <laughs> yeah, we can fucking pass that shit in an afternoon. No, no, problem. no problem there. Yeah. Fucking give a little to Boeing, a little to Lockheed, That's and right. we got Arm that baby out the door. Weapon systems, no problem. And yeah, so, we got that bill fucking out the hill. Bam. This this comes down at the end where Toby and the president are having a dialogue because they're still on the fucking plane. Josh mm-hmm. and Leo are in the office back in the White House. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there are two things that they resolve on the phone. And one of them is the, the gay marriage bill. Where right. they are going back and forth about whether to use what's referred to as a pocket veto right. on the bill. So the I'm not entirely up to date on the technicality of the pocket veto, but basically uh, it is. Oh, I am. Ooh, go ahead, please. Uh, uh, so the, po- the the every bill that is passed by both houses of Congress goes to the president, and he has ten, ten days to sign it. Uh, and if he doesn't. If he, he can he can actively veto it, which we'll see in a later episode. Uh, one of them opens with him vetoing a bill. Um, so we'll cover that when it gets to it. Uh, or he can just let it expire that 10-day time frame, and that is the pocket veto. Just letting that time frame expire. So it's not... And it's it's effect, not... It is effectively the same thing as a veto, but it is just it is slightly procedurally different. It still goes back to the House and the Senate, and then they have to two-thirds majority to get it Overrid to override the veto, it I is, believe. Yeah, and it's not an affirmative decision, is what the correct is what they're it's, it's the cowardly is, yes. way of vetoing essentially. And so they go down this thing, and basically, you know, we get an opportunity for Bartlett to bloviate about being like, "Oh, I believe like gays should have the right to marry," but then, but, but then he just <laughs> takes the coward's way out anyway. Right. It's just like he did with the with the Hollywood guy. Yeah, you know, where just saying, "Oh, the country's not ready." Yeah, and so that wraps up that with a fucking bow. But then, holy shit, Toby speaks a C-SPAM post out loud when they're talking (laughs) about the goddamn education thing. He literally says, and I quote, we'll have the clip right here. I think Charlie's idea was a good one. I think you should ask Leo to put together a team to study the feasibility of appropriations for a pilot program with 100 teachers. Put together a team to study the feasibility for appropriations for a pilot program. Holy shit. Wow. I didn't know Toby had a forums account and was called Concerned Citizen. (laughs) Whiskey Juvenile, reveal yourself. Like, what the fuck? It's just so... Sweeping rhetoric, eh, Toby? (laughs) This is going to inspire so many voters. You're going to get like seven whole people to vote for you (laughs) on the campaign trail by talking about a goddamn feasibility of appropriations for a study (laughs) of a pilot program. Oh, this drives me fucking nuts. And to his credit, the president is just like, well, shit, all this other bad stuff happened. I guess this can count... As you right. know, a start. Right. He's like, well, I wanted 100,000 teachers, but we'll get 100. Well, I guess that's a start. And it's like, oh. fuck, man. <laughs> Just fuck. Like, do, do you this s- is the West Wing at its fucking core right here. Like, over-promise and under-deliver. 
can you know? just imagine having any convictions and this being your day-to-day experience of the governing process. Just being like, just constantly feeling this ennui of being, and and for no reason, not being able to exercise your power in any way. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, and again, this is all a fictional government, too. Like, I always got to bring that. I always got to bring that point back around. Like, the writers can have them do whatever they want them to do. <laughs> you know, they are not bound by the actual political reality of our reality. <laughs> you know, they have created a alternate fictional universe where Martin Sheen is president and not, you know, George W. Bush. Well, and, you know, there's also like. It's been like creating a fictional reality. They're talking earlier with the transportation secretary about putting subways in places that aren't Chicago or New York. And he mentions Miami. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we can dig plenty underground in Florida. You know, Florida, land of all those basements and subways and underground tunnels. Definitely a state known for its And not a state at fucking sea level at like 90% of the fucking land. Yeah, it's just like where our highest point of elevation is a six hundred foot fucking hill. We do not have mountains here, okay? Like yes, and like, I can I can definitely dig two inches below the surface to put in a subway again for and ants. not just hit the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, and so. Yeah. They, they just... uh, which, by the way, and it's super frustrating in, in the light of climate change that president's like, well, I guess the pavement wins this one, huh, boys? Ugh. Like, oh, yeah, just kick that can down the road. And I, I, I read something about if we had started 20 years earlier, we only would have had, had to cut emissions by like 2% a oh, year yeah. to be carbon neutral it's, right now or something like that. It's just insane. like, Fuck, it's it's fucking insane. If we we could have theoretically decarbonized the entire U.S. grid during the Clinton presidency, but we just Absolutely. didn't. We just didn't Apparently. feel like it. It wasn't on our radar at all, even though it had been no. like twenty years since they discovered the effect. Even though you know you got clips of Bernie talking about climate change to the school children, fucking back in the eighties and shit. And and like, like Al Gore was on his trip already. It right. didn't and take until that scientists. Movie. And scientists were presenting to Congress and stuff like that. And it's hell. When did the day after tomorrow come out? Like two thousand four. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it was during the Bush presidency you know? for sure. Like we 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 knew. We, knew. <laughs> we fucking knew. We just kicked that can down, and and here's the president in the fictional reality doing it all the same. Yeah, and so this this whole framing of this is being portrayed to its audience as a something to emulate and laud, right? While literally doing nothing nothing and it's uh, it's it drives me like and this is kind of our central thesis uh, obviously. this is and this is what drove us yeah. to fucking create this podcast yeah, yeah. is just like why do fucking liberals love this goddamn <laughs> show and it betrays the i mean it betrays the inherent contradiction is also like we can wrap it right back around to the gay marriage thing where it's mm-hmm. like if you wanted to they the administration could do all these things right now right but because the only thing that makes the system of government that that forces the system of government to engender change is popular opinion because you hit a critical mass and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's pitchforks and torches time and it's it, it, yeah public anger like let's let's call it yeah. what it is yeah, like yeah. it's public anger that drive that drives politicians it's it's the threat of like hey do this or we'll fucking vote you out 
or do this or we'll fucking erect guillotines yeah. <laughs> like, like we're gonna you burn know, the office down you know like the, that's what it, you know fucking there's there's things back in the day of the 1700s where angry citizens would go and dismantle the house of a politician <laughs> who they were upset with and it's like there's your fucking that's what you gotta do man like yeah there's your action there's a thing i was reading you know just they were they're talking about mao and there's a thing where um oh, oh for landlords there's a, i was reading something on the forest <laughs> the other day where it's like they used to try there's some country where landlords would go around and issue eviction notices to entire apartment buildings and for a while uh-huh. the response was just every every resident would just drag the landlord into the street and force feed him the notices <laughs> <laughs> and he'd have to go somewhere else and be a landlord somewhere yeah. else but it's also just like we are we are expected to to govern and believe in our um, in our politicians institutions and in yeah. in direct contravention of material reality. It's like asking us to believe in science except for this part where we have right. no empirical evidence of any of this shit ever working before. In right. The in fact, we have. And we have lots of empirical evidence that it doesn't work. Exactly. Um, and, you know, there's studies about how politicians think the voter base is way more, like, conservative and moderate than they actually are, and that they don't desire great change when they really do. And, you know, there's all these kinds of studies about shit like this, of just, you know, they don't they don't listen until the, the anger gets high enough. Yeah. Which I don't, I don't really... Just, Which is why this decorum bullshit is just <laughs> yeah. so frustrating. It's, it's fundamentally... Like, no, no, you have to engage civilly, and no. Then fucking no one respects that. No one listens to that. And, they listen to anger. And we've ne- we've never accomplished anything by engaging civilly. There has never right. been anything that was engaged civilly. I mean, nothing, nothing we have passed that has actually helped people was done by asking politely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's our, so, yeah. uh, that's our soapbox for the day. Whew. Uh, I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is really cathartic. Um, yeah. on, speaking of things done civilly, on the eve of maybe national law of the United Kingdom brexiting, we don't know. Oh, how does is that all today? Work? Well, tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow, God the, only the knows. law that the UK passed apparently takes them out of the EU, but the EU's legal body doesn't recognize them as having done so. So, yeah, I, I haven't followed all that nonsense other than uh, apparently there's a mace involved, and if someone <laughs> picks it up, like they all go uh, like uh, apoplectic and like we need something like that. I, I, we, I need a Congress mace. We, we need. Although, like, since we're America, obviously it has to be, like, a bigger dick metaphor or something, so it should probably be, like, the purple giant dildo hammer from Saints Row 3 or something like that. My man, I do not want to blow your mind right now, but we already have a mace. Oh my god! <laughs> it is made of silver. We have silver. a congressional mace? It is made of, of silver. Of course we do. It's a FOSS case, because of course it is. Um, but no one picks it up, though, right? I don't like ever. So for daily, I'm reading the Wikipedia article. For daily sessions <laughs> of the House, the Sergeant at Arms carries the silver and ebony mace of the House in front of oh, the Speaker. Oh shit! Holy shit! All right. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm I'm happy to be proven <laughs> wrong. I take back my complaint. We have a mace. Uh, good job, America. <laughs> so, and actually, historically, there was a <laughs> there was a usage by the Speaker of the mace to shut Maxine Waters up back in the 90s because she declined oh to cede her time. Oh. And it was literally like, I'm like, going to shake the mace at you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Okay, well, Whew. that was a delightful fact to find out. You learn something new every day, folks. Yeah. Um, so happy possible wow. Brexit Eve. I don't think it's actually going to happen because neoliberals God are only capable knows. of doing anything. But fuck it, let's burn this whole economy <laughs> That's down. That's goddamn right. Britain first. <laughs> good, good, good work, lads. <laughs> so uh, we'll join you hopefully next week for our uh, next yeah, episode. Yeah, I, I don't see why not. Um, which is going to be, and I've got it, the wiki open right here, uh, Shibboleth. Ooh, good word. Um, and I remember exactly what this is about because the title refers to uh, a bunch of Christian, even uh, chi- sorry, Chinese evangelical Christians uh, who show up in California seeking asylum. Hmm. Um, uh, meanwhile, uh, the Toby wants the president to appoint Leo's sister for a minor educational post. Uh, but she is controversial. Uh, and elsewhere, Josh, Toby, or Toby, Josh, and Sam make plans to watch football while Charlie is dispatched by Bartlett to find a carving knife for Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, <it's> Thanksgiving <laughs> episode. Lovely. Yes. <laughs> well, so... So, uh, that should be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's a great word um, from, I think, Yiddish, shibboleth. It was used to be a mean... Like, it was like the password that Jews knew each other by. Correct, um, and the, they they'll bring it up in that episode. Nice. I remember they go into a whole definition of it and everything like that. Uh, but yeah, I think that wraps up for this week. Uh, thank you for joining us. As always, you can leave a comment on on the C spam thread. Uh, if you'd like to drop us an email, you can email us at theworstwing69 at gmail dot com. <laughs> nice, nice, and uh, we will see you next week for another fun episode. Dave Anthony, apologize. Send all yes. the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on a